Hi, I'm David Stoker, and I want to welcome you to the Better Life and Recovery hashtag Hope Dealer Movement podcast. As a visible and vocal member of the recovery community since 2009, I'm frequently asked questions and for advice from people all the time. Some are curious, some are still using, some are in recovery, and some people just care about somebody who's currently struggling with a hurt habit or hangout. If people in my community have those questions, I guarantee that people everywhere are looking for answers as well. We started this podcast to give you answers and support because not only is recovery real, it is amazing. Hope you enjoy the show. So today me and Josh are going to be talking about sharing your story. I think this one's really important because I I think a lot of times when people share their story, they share either a war story or an illness story. Yep. So what's a war story, Josh? Oh man, I think about war stories. I think about when I talk about how messed up I got and how I got into this fight or that fight and I did this and I did that and I did that drug deal and this drug deal and I was this kingpin and I was this, that. I beat the brakes off that dude. (laughs) Yeah. Right? And you know what? One common theme that I've I've found in lots of people that are still struggling with being in recovery, um, they'll tell those stories, those war stories about the scholarship that they lost. They'll tell the story about being the drug dealer kingpin, and then they'll tell the story about all the people that they beat the brakes off, how much time they spent in prison, how where they were top of this and top of that. And it's just, usually it's evidence uh, that the recovery's just started. Yeah, I also find it's people that haven't built a life worth living. Mm. They, they're not living their best life yet. Yeah. So all they have to pull from is those things in their past. Yep. You know. Yeah. Uh, so what's an illness story? So an illness story would be um, when you get lost in in the diagnosis, man. When you get lost in the substance use disorder. When you get lost in I'm bipolar. When you get lost in the illness and that there is no hope in it. So, because you've been through the Missouri Certified Peer Specialist Training, and because I'm one of those trainers, um, I bet if I were to ask you, what are the four parts of a recovery story, you'd be able to tell me, wouldn't you? Oh my gosh, absolutely. So, um, really, the first thing is you got to know what you overcame. You know, what is it that you overcame? The second thing is what you learned. Third thing would be what you gained. And that fourth thing is, um, what are you doing? What are you doing to keep that goal? Absolutely. I can remember times that I've shared my story and I start off with, if you know how to use drugs, raise your hand. Mm. All the hands go up and I'm like, okay, we don't need to talk about the drug side of it. Then do we? Yeah. I mean, honestly, even where I'm at sometimes, sometimes when I hear people sharing their story, mm-hmm. uh, like I, I go to, like somebody's like, hey, I'm going to share my story tonight. Will you come listen? Yeah. I love to support people, mm-hmm. um, especially because those tend to happen around recovery dates a lot yeah. of times. And as I listen, all I can think is, man, they really didn't have it that bad. Or, wow, <laughs> I thought yeah. I had it bad. And I, and I find myself comparing. Yeah. Oh, man. You know, and I think that's, that's one of the problems with war stories. Uh-huh. And so people tell war stories because nobody needs to know that I manufactured, that I was the, that had the best. I can't tell you how many people I've worked with that were the biggest drug dealers in Southwest Missouri. Uh-huh. Um, that... Man, they cooked that fire dope that everybody wanted, <laughs> and yet they don't have a vehicle, they can't oh, afford right. an attorney, and they don't have a place to live. Yeah. And absolutely. I'm like, but but you said you were... Uh, just, be, come on, dude. No, let's just right. be real with each other. Uh-huh. You know what? I imagine you had a really rough time. Yeah. So th- what I want to know is, what happened to you, man? Exactly. You know, that's the bottom yeah, line. What is. happened to you? That's what I want to know about somebody. Uh-huh. Um, not what did you do? Right. Not... I mean, and what happened to you? Like, like what was that 
that sparking moment. Exactly. You know, what was it that started that? Uh, Flame. Another thing, especially whenever I'm talking to people in the community, mm-hmm. I want them to know that that this isn't a choice. You know, I tell people I had a drug solution. I had unaddressed trauma. Uh-huh. Trauma was my problem. Right. 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 So I want to start off, you know, I start off, trigger warning. Uh-huh. Uh, we're going to talk about some traumatic stuff really quick. Yeah. You know, my first memory is being molested by a babysitter mm-hmm. when I was three years old. Right. I grew up in a house where my dad had a drinking problem. Mm-hmm. My mom left my dad in fifth grade, dropped us off with her dad. And her dad was the kind of guy that would... Mm-hmm beat me and then call into school and mm-hmm. say, Hey, he's going to help me in the fields this week and not let me go back to school until the cuts and bruises had healed mm-hmm. up because he knew he'd get in trouble for it. The mm-hmm. first time I used the summer before seventh grade, I stopped thinking about all that trauma, mm-hmm. right? That's, I want people to know what I overcame. I don't have to get into all the details right. all the down and dirty, but I right. want them to know, Hey, these things happened. Uh-huh. And the first time I used, I felt amazing. Mm-hmm. So what I learned was that I didn't have a drug problem. I had a drug solution, mm-hmm. right? Unaddressed trauma was my problem. If you look at the ACEs survey, ACEs yeah. survey will tell you that, I, you know, I'm an overachiever. I score oh. a nine on the ACEs, <laughs> but it'll tell you that if somebody scores a six or over, that uh-huh. they're 46 times, so 4,600% more likely to inject illicit drugs. Mm-hmm. They're five right. times more likely, if they score a four, to have a uh, an alcohol use disorder. Mm-hmm. So we can tell because of trauma that that's why things happen, right? Mm-hmm. So, so I know that now. Mm-hmm. So in my recovery, what have I been able to gain? Right. And then that's where we talk about positive things, right? right. My life, my, my family, my, my amazing kids, my beautiful wife, uh, the nonprofit that I have today. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, I, I'll brag a little bit in mm-hmm. 2017, I was a Missouri mental health champion in yeah. 2018. I was one of, I, I got, I want to, was presented with uh-huh. a Samsha voice award. They flew me out to, uh, California. California. And it was amazing, you know, and I've started a nonprofit called Better Life and Recovery. And I've partnered with two other organizations to start the Springfield Recovery Community Center. Mm -hmm. That's what I've gained. And wrote a book. And wrote a book. Yep. Called Hope Dealer. (laughs) Anyway, um, I was going to leave that out. (laughs) You know, so so those are some of the things I've gained. Mm -hmm. And, you know, today there's things I have to do every day, right? Like every morning when I wake up, I do a gratitude list. It's Mm -hmm. one of the first things I do in the morning. Mm -hmm. I have learned uh, what I need to do for self-care, whether it's going and watching two movies all by myself, turning my cell phone off, Mm -hmm. or going kayaking multiple times a year, Mm -hmm. or, you know, prayer, mindfulness techniques that help me ground whatever those things are. Mm -hmm. Um, You know, I have a wellness recovery action plan. Mm-hmm. You know, yeah, I've right. always been bigger on recovery enhancement than I have relapse prevention anyway, mm-hmm. because instead of saying, hey, here's the people, places and things you can't be around. Mm-hmm. I learned, uh, hey, here's the people, places and things that you can add to your life that are going to help your life grow. Amen. And and really, that's kind of where I'm at. Yeah, you I know, love that. so that's my story in a nutshell using those four things. Right. And if you guys didn't notice that, that's exactly what he did. He just walked through what he overcame, what he learned, what he's gained and what he's doing now to keep that goal. And, um, and, and, and as you guys heard that, he didn't glorify what he came out of, but he, 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 he was honest about it. He was transparent about it. And, and a lot of times when we can own that transparency, when we can be truly about honest about where we came from and who we were, that's when we really start to heal. And that's when our recovery story really starts to unfold. You know, I think I say a lot um, is that I wasn't, 
a drug addict, I was an escape artist. You know, I was whatever I could do not to have to be the person I was, I was going to escape from it. You know, and I think the first time I checked into rehab, I checked in as an addict trying to get clean when I should have been checked in as a liar trying to get honest. Just wanted to be transparent about who I was and stop trying to hide things. And it was that moment that I, that I got to that point to where everything was really stripped away and I was just left exposed and there was nothing left to hide that I was truly allowed to heal. Yeah, and if you notice, whenever I shared, I didn't even get into what my drugs of choice were. Yeah, no. I didn't have to talk about that. I didn't have to talk about dealing. Now, sometimes I will say, you know, um, I would end up, you know, after that first time that I used, I would end up using for the next 24 years. Mm -hmm. And in that 24 years, I would graduate onto harder drugs. I would be in and out of jail, rehab. I've died eight times and been brought back. Mm -hmm. um, and none of that was ever enough mm -hmm. to make me change the way I was living. Mm-hmm. You know, I believe there's multiple uh, pathways to recovery. My pathway came through Christ. Sometimes mm -hmm. I will throw that piece in. Right. Yeah. But I mean, honestly, I don't think that you really have to throw that in to get through to somebody. I don't have to talk about, man, I shot so much heroin or, right. you know, and there I was cooking methamphetamine. Uh -huh. I don't think you really even need to get into that mm -hmm. whenever you're sharing a lot of times. Now, if I'm doing a little bit longer, I'm going to touch on those things. Right. But I never really get into the fact that how much I did. Right. I never really get into all the violence that it beget at the time. I don't see why you have to get into a lot of those things, mm -hmm. you know, especially if you can just hit on those four, yeah. hit on those four, kind of stick to it and realize that, that most of your audience, they're already mm -hmm. imagining every negative thing they possibly can. If right. it's uh, somebody that is unschooled in recovery from the community. Yep. And if it's somebody from within the recovery community, they really don't need to hear that you're the biggest, the baddest, the worst, the best, the whatever, no. whenever it comes to your addiction, mm -hmm. because they probably feel they were too. Yeah. And in all honesty, people there aren't, I never went to a speaker meeting to listen to somebody tell me about how much drugs they'd done. Mm. I never went to listen to somebody tell me how bad they were mm -hmm. because the truth is there's always somebody that's done more drugs. Um, I think Keith Richards, yeah. uh, he wins. Yeah. <laughs> uh, right. You know, Winner. the entire city of Springfield is not even competing yeah, right, exactly. against him uh -huh. if we combined us all. Uh huh. Um, so we've got that. Um, mm -hmm. I, I've never met the, the, there's always somebody bigger and badder. Always. You know, uh, a lot of times people that are sitting there talking about mm -hmm. how big and bad they are, mm -hmm. uh, they were small fish mm -hmm. in a, in a, in a, or big fish in a small pond. How about uh -huh. that? Yep. You know, um, yep. you can be the biggest, baddest, whatever in Springfield. Mm -hmm. But I remember reading about an 800 pound methamphetamine bust in California. Mm -hmm. um, we were small fish, <laughs> you know. Yeah, um, so true. Are you doing 50 years fed? <laughs> because <laughs> right. if you're not doing 50 years fed time, you probably were a pretty small fish. And even some of the people doing 50 year feds right. were small fish that got caught right. up in conspiracy rings and stuff right. like that that couldn't afford attorneys. Yeah, I agree. So I agree. Let me ask you this, if it's okay. Yeah. Um, you uh, were talking about, you know, the ODs and the dying, and none of that was effective in, in making you change. Right. Um, you kind of hit for a second on what it was. Could you elaborate just a little bit on what it was that truly made you change? You mean right now? Right now. No. Mm -hmm. So, well, like I say, I believe there's multiple pathways to recovery. For me, the pathway that worked was Christ, but it took people in my life. Mm-hmm that that loved on me when I didn't love myself, that believed in me when I didn't believe in myself, that showed me compassion uh, when I was full of cynicism, that showed me kindness when I was full of rage. Mm. You know, they kind of loved on me and they invited me to church several times and I laughed at them every time. 
because I don't go to church. It's mm-hmm. not what I do. Mm-hmm. And then uh, they invited me out for barbecue mm. and barbecue live works. music. And I'm like, heck yeah, I'm down <laughs> for that. And they're like, cool, it's after church. Mm-hmm. Um, but I kind of had a, what we would call a Damascus Road conversion. Mm-hmm. Uh, I think I've shared my testimony. I think it's, uh, it's either, uh, it might be episode zero mm-hmm. or episode one of this podcast. And of course, there's my book, Hope Dealer. Yeah, you know, you can buy the book. But, uh-huh. but like I said, for me, the only thing that worked for me was Christ. Uh-huh. But I do believe there's multiple pathways to recovery and people need to find the, the pathway that works for them. Mm-hmm. Um, what scares me is there's so many people out there that are like, well, like people from the 12 step side are like, well, the 12 steps are the only way. And people uh-huh. from the faith based side are like, Jesus is the only way. Right. But the truth is we're marginalizing people when we say that. And I don't ever want to say something that's going to make somebody feel like they can't find a recovery, you know, uh, through whatever their means is. And Mm -hmm. I'll speak to the Christians that listen to this. It's not my job to convict people. Right. It's the Holy Spirit that convicts people. Yeah, I agree. It's not my job to change people. Mm -hmm. It's the Holy Spirit and Christ that changed people. Mm -hmm. Um, Now, it is my job to Mm -hmm. show people grace and mercy because we were asked to... to be Jesus right here on earth. Uh-huh. You know, I try not to get too much into faith, even though it does happen uh-huh. because faith is a part of my recovery right. on this podcast. I mean, but the truth is we were called to do these things. Uh-huh. I agree. And we weren't called to, to judge people and to marginalize people. Mm-hmm. You know, Jesus at the well wasn't like, whore! Oh my <laughs> right. gosh, whore! Right. What are why, you, what are you doing? Right. That's why she like, was there at that time of day anyways, is because she was marginalized, man. Yeah. He was like, hey, who here is without sin? Yeah. Cast the first stone yeah. and, and he's like, holy cow, where'd everybody go? Where were all those people that were condemning you? Uh-huh. Because they all realized that their lives were full of sin. Mm-hmm. So don't sit there and try to do uh, a betterism, ableism, I don't know, whatever ism it is. But right. don't sit there and try to act like you're any better than anybody mm-hmm. else out yeah. there. Just because you believe in Jesus, because according to that big book that you read, which is a 66 book love letter, mm-hmm. um, it... it, it it says, for all have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. Romans 6.23. You know. Mm-hmm. Or, it, you know, if you're a 12-stepper, don't be there. and be, Don't sit there and be like, well, just because you're not reading the big book and working steps, you're going to go back out. Because mm-hmm. the truth is, more people find recovery mm-hmm. without help mm-hmm. from treatment and 12 steps than do find help. Yeah. You know, that's, that's the amazing thing. If you look in the United States, they estimate there's around 4 or 5 million people. Uh-huh that attend 12-step meetings. Um, but there's 23.5 million people in long-term recovery, so that's right. a, a, a section. Uh-huh. And a lot of those people that are no longer engaging in active, chaotic substance use mm-hmm. um, don't all believe in Jesus either. Yeah. In fact, some of those people, and this will blow your mind. <laughs> Here we go. Um, some of those people, I know, I know, mm-hmm. I know, they use in moderation. Their use is no longer chaotic. Wait, what? I know, right? Oh, wow. Um, and, and it's so weird that we believe that those people can't exist mm-hmm. because I know people that exist. I talked yeah. about it a couple podcasts ago. I talk about it all the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, how many people do you know that that mm-hmm. drink? Yeah. You know, in moderation. How many? I mean, how many people do you know that smoke, that use in moderation? Mm-hmm. I remember all kinds of kids at parties. They'd blow a line mm-hmm. if it was there and if it wasn't. They wouldn't do it. Not a big deal. Right. Right? Yeah. Oh, man, we're out of beer. You know, I had friends that would meet us at B-dubs. I'd order a pitcher and, and, and two Jaeger bombs. That's uh-huh. what I started with. Uh-huh. And I had a friend that would come, and he'd get a, a, a tw- he'd get one of the tall boys, like a right. 22, 23-ounce. Uh-huh. And then after that, he'd drink it, uh-huh. and then he'd drink tea. 
Wow. Yeah. I'd be like, okay, bring me uh whatever. <laughs> Two Jaeger bombs <laughs> right. and a pitcher of beer yeah. and just keep bringing them until the game's over. Right. Absolutely. Right? And I sit in that same world. To me, that does not make sense that somebody would drink tea after that. But that is a real life for somebody. And why I was asking you specifically about your what truly changed you is a lot of times you hear people say things like, um, like they just don't get it. They, they got another DUI. They overdosed again. It's when are they going to get it? When are they going to change? You don't know, like for you, that invitation to a barbecue and to some music is what truly changed your life. You don't know when that, that point is going to be for that person. So don't ever, ever give up. You don't know when that hope is going to finally catch fire. But they've got to hit rock bottom, right? <laughs> right. Because obviously my rock bottom was while I was sitting there eating barbecue, listening to live music. <laughs> right, exactly. Or my bottom, my actual bottom, if you listen to my uh-huh. story, would be me in grad school uh-huh. driving my own car after hitting the second bar. Mm. So I had the money to go drink at two different places. Uh-huh. In my own vehicle, driving to my own house. Just finished college. Um, and I was working on my master's degree. Mm-hmm. After successfully completing an associate's and two bachelor's with honors. Right. Um, and I graduated my master's with honors. I did all of that in active addiction. Uh-huh. So I had bottoms that happened years ago. Uh-huh. But I didn't find recovery at a bottom. I think that's another one of those lies out there. Yeah, I agree. You know, it, it's weird. This is the only disease where we blame the person. Mm. So true. Oh, his cancer came out of remission. I guess he didn't want it bad enough. <laughs> right? So Sorry, true. he's going to have to see a new oncologist. I can't uh-huh. work with him. He doesn't want this bad enough. Yep. And I think that's so important that us in recovery share our story and talk about that change. Talk about where it came from. Remember those four things that we're going to do is we're going to talk about what we overcame, what we learned, what we gained, and what we're doing now to keep that goal. And we're not going to glorify the past, but we're going to talk about this future that, that we have been given. Absolutely. We're not going to marginalize other people's stories yeah, it's or different. look down on other people's stories. I almost feel like it's horrible when you see somebody call somebody's recovery out on Facebook. Ugh. You know, well, you're not really in recovery because no, they are in recovery. So because they're prescribed medication, mm. they're not in recovery There's because how many of us are on one form of medication or another? Right. You Absolutely. Know? I mean, I'm on medication. I, I I may or may not take medication for high cholesterol. <laughs> uh-huh. um, and I may or may not be on medication for... Um, uh, for my uh, anxiety and panic attacks, uh, you know, yeah, um, right. I actually, uh, which is weird, but I am because I am a person in recovery. Uh, benzodiazepines are not the thing for me, so mm. I, I actually am prescribed something that's called propanolol, which is a non-narcotic. Mm-hmm. It's actually for high blood pressure that helps me. I I have to take like it when I speak blocker. in front of thunder gr- uh, groups of like a hundred or more. Yeah. Um, and nobody's sitting there going, well, because you take those, you're not in recovery. I know. Right? But yet somebody that takes subs or methadone uh-huh. or Vivitrol, well, you're not really in recovery. Mm. Well, what do you mean really in recovery? Because recovery isn't being absent. Right. Um, because I know people that have been absent for 20 years that I would say don't have a liquor recovery yeah, to them. exactly. Because right. they're still living mm-hmm. in, in the same wine. Yeah. You know, they in the same don't. wine bag that they came out of. Act, look, dress all the same it's new wine new wine inside of it <laughs> right? but that wine bag is old yeah, you know you can pour all the new crap in there you want to mm-hmm. but if nothing changes then nothing changes mm-hmm. you're still engaged in criminal acts and you think that at 40 mm-hmm. you're still talking about 
people you beat the brakes off of. What's even worse is when it was last week, let alone when you're bragging about 20 years ago. <laughs> right. I'm like, wait a minute, you're a dad. Yeah, I know. You've got kids. Oh, you, gosh. You've got a full-time job, uh-huh. and you're bragging about the person that you beat the brakes off of last week. Yeah. What part of 16 doesn't sound right to this? It's because, so true. Because most 16-year-olds don't have a gray beard and are balding <laughs> with a haunch. Right? Come on. Dude, take that dad bod home uh-huh. and spend some time with your kids instead of going to the bars and getting into bar fights. Right. I so agree. You know, I don't know. It just, it boggles my mind sometimes where people are at. It does. And I don't want to judge people. Um, I try to let people work their own program, but unfortunately, people used to pay me a hundred bucks an hour to work their program. So I guess I did it for a living for yeah. quite some time. Uh-huh. And, uh, man, I look at a lot of people's programs that have tons of abstinence. Right. Man, I know people that are actively using that have better recovery than they do. Yeah. And I think that's the difference between being subjective and being objective. You know, there's, there's, there's lines you can draw and talk about, you know, and, um, I think that it's important for all of us to, to work on a recovery story, especially as we are, um, we, we talked about a couple of podcasts ago about reducing the stigma, you know, that's yeah. where it's going to come at is when we're using our recovery story as recovery tool to, to reduce that stigma and talk about the hope that we have. Absolutely. And that's, and like I said, we've got to share our stories more. We've mm-hmm. got to be visible and vocal. We've got to get out in our community because at the end of the day, there's too many people that don't know what what recovery truly looks like. There's yeah. too many people that that think that hey, you know what? I mean, yeah, if you have a drinking problem or one of those, you can go to treatment. But man, mm-hmm. if you use heroin, methamphetamine, those people never get better. Right, right. You said once you're hooked. Yeah. Yeah. No, first time. <laughs> right. I remember those. Uh, just say no to drugs uh-huh. commercials. Try it once. You're hooked. <laughs> Um, right man for some people it took a long time before uh-huh. it took me a long time before i was physically dependent yes exactly even psychologically dependent probably took me a couple of times uh-huh. you know um but i i do know that when i use man i, I love the way that not thinking about all that trauma felt yeah you know yep. and i love so. the way it felt not to be myself and and to be able to be myself now and be okay right. with that is it's just an amazing thing man amazing absolutely thing. yep yeah and so I encourage the people that are listening to uh, to work on your recovery story. In fact, I have mine written down. I, I, obviously, you do in a book. Um, but have it written down and walk through those four steps of what you overcame, what you learned, what you gained, and what you're doing now to keep your goal. I think bullet points. You know, mm-hmm. have bullets in practice. Mm-hmm. I used to think, don't rehearse. But, man, if I've got an elevator speech, mm-hmm. I want to rehearse it. Yeah. And I want to try to stay away from some of that language that, unfortunately, a lot of times we use. Mm-hmm. Um like addict, abuse, abuser. Um, there's so many of those different words that I think that we need to get away from because they don't they don't help at all. Yeah, In just... fact, if anything, they kind of hurt. So I agree with so, that. So yeah, um, or talking about like clean or dirty. Or, yeah. And I know those are things that are so ingrained. Mm-hmm. <clears throat> you know, of course you can't identify A or NA because, you know, right. uh, of some of their rules. But even saying a self-help group, it's not a self-help group. It's a recovery support group. Mm, or so good. You know, uh, it's a substance use disorder. You're not clean or dirty. You're abstinent. You're positive for, um, you know, different things like that. Yeah, I agree. Um, or calling yourself a person in long-term recovery. Just get away from that pejorative language. Yeah. Because if I'm sitting around a room full of people who are in recovery... And I say that I'm a grateful recovering addict. They're like, oh, yeah, because they know what that means. If I'm out in the community and I say I'm a grateful recovering addict, 
Uh, the major subject to that is addict. Right. Grateful and recovering are adjectives. I'm yep. describing the kind of person of addict I am. And I will tell you now, most people, as soon as they hear the word addict, they get a mind picture of probably me sitting on a bed or a toilet with my, tying my arm off. Right. Yep. And I'm going to steal their stuff when they're not yeah. looking. If I say grateful, recovering alcoholic, they probably p- picture me passed out in an alley with a bottle of Ripple between uh-huh. my legs. Right. You know, so, so try to shy away from that. Mm-hmm. And really quick, I, I stole some stuff from NAMI, but... Mm. But it's kind of the same if you look at uh, telling your recovery story. If I'm sitting there and I'm talking to a legislator, which mm-hmm. is where I, I stole some of this from, uh, we introduce ourselves, right? And we talk about how we were affected. So what you overcame. Mm-hmm. You know, we talk about what happened. What happened before you received the help you need? We talk about what helped, right? What mm-hmm. helped you in your recovery? What are those things that you gained from it? And then how are you different today? Mm-hmm. And then from there, we add a couple more steps. So it's kind of the same. Tell the first four. And then after the first four, you talk about what's your need or problem? What's the thing that you're there talking to your legislator that you want addressed? Mm, I um, love that. How's this going to help other people? Mm. So what's going to help? Here's this problem. Yeah. Here's this need in my community. And here's what's going to help people. And then you make your ask, whatever mm. it is, whether it's, you know, our ask right now that we're really after in the state of Missouri is us getting to a point where we no longer have misdemeanor charges if we give somebody a syringe. We want syringe access in our state. Yes. We talk about it as syringe access. Uh, we used to talk about uh, syringe exchange. Mm-hmm. But as soon as they heard the exchange, they latched on to one for one. Mm. Where they're like, well, we're okay, but you can only give somebody a needle if they bring you one. So m- the majority of the yeah. people that come there for the first time, we would have to turn away without giving them a sterile syringe. And I didn't yeah. like that. No. Notice how I said sterile and and not clean or dirty. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> recovery I'm language. Using recovery language. What? What? Right there. So, but seriously, so now we've kind of gone with uh, syringe access, mm-hmm. and we're talking to them. A, they always care about money. Mm-hmm. So we talk about the fiscal note. Uh, how many new cases of Hep C we have every year in the state of Missouri? Uh-huh. How many of those are reported to be due to? Um, Dirty needles. Um. No, funny, funny. How many of those are reported to be due to substance use? Uh-huh. And then the dollar note at- attached to each. And mm-hmm. the funny thing is, when you look at it, it's in the tens of millions of dollars. Wow. You know. Um, and then we're like, man, but yet we could reduce all of that with a 20 cent syringe. Right. Not to mention the fact that, you know, the Surgeon General's report on substance use disorder said that communities that have syringe access sites mm-hmm. get people into treatment five times faster. Because to quote Chad Sabora, uh-huh. at the end of the day, it's not about the syringe. It's about the, the human connection that we make when somebody comes in because right. we treat somebody with mm-hmm. compassion instead of judgment. Once mm-hmm. again, compassion over tough love and it works. Yeah. So we, I would rather look at not what worked in my life. But what has worked statistically in the most people's lives and what I see that's worked in most people's lives statistically based on research that we can validate over and over and over again is that compassionate care, Mm. you know, healthy boundaries, never setting boundaries. You can't live with the results of and making sure people are always aware that you care about them. You know, I may be mad at the substance use and the behaviors that come due to your substance use, but I love you. Right. And I'm going to invite you to a barbecue and a rock concert because that might change your life. And it's amazing how many times they invited me and I laughed in their face Mm -hmm. when they invited me. It's Mm -hmm. amazing how rude I was to them. And yet they continued to invite me and love on me anyway. Mm. You know, I pray that anybody that's having a struggle, I don't care if it's substance use, depression, uh, unhealthy relationships. I pray to 
God that you have somebody in your life that loves you the way Nate and Becca love me. Oh, that shows you the same grace and mercy that Nate and Becca showed me. Right. Because it's made all the difference in my life. And there might be some people out here that are listening that are that Nate and Becca. And don't give up. Yeah. Keep loving. Yeah. You know, in recovery, they say don't give up before the miracle happens. But, man, I would say if you love somebody mm-hmm. with a behavioral health issue, don't give up before the miracle happens. Amen. You know, uh, because you never know when you're going to say something that's either going to stop them from an action that they can never talk back, take mm-hmm. back, mm-hmm. or that's actually going to be the one that pushes them over the edge and brings them to uh, a life where they have the possibility to live the best life ever. Oh, so you good. know, and then every single person that they will be able to 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 impact mm-hmm. once they find recovery. Right. You know, I mean, that's the amazing part of it to me. Yeah, yeah, I, I agree. I mean, think about. Us being right here, right now, recording this podcast, Better Life and Recovery, Hope Dealer. You think about everything that's come from that invite. Yeah. You know? And you know, who who else is sitting out there listening right now? Who else is out there that is on the verge of that as well? You know? Who knows, man? And so that that is part of the Hope Dealer movement is is the Nate and Beckas out there keep that hope alive by by loving those around them. Absolutely. So uh, I think we're, we're drawing cl- close to the mm-hmm. end. So once again, mm-hmm. what are those four things somebody should look at if they want to tell their recovery story? First thing is, is what you overcame. Second thing is, is, is what you learned. That third thing is to be what you gained from this experience. And the fourth thing is, what are you doing now to keep your goal? My encouragement is you guys take these four things, write down your recovery story. We want to hear it. Absolutely. In fact, send it to us. Go to www.betterlifeandrecovery.com or send it to David at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, go on Facebook to yeah. the Hope Dealer Movement or Twitter or Instagram and send that to us. And if you want, man, if you want us to share it, send us a couple pictures. I don't want before pictures. I want after pictures. Amen. Right? I don't ever want to sit there and put down those pictures of people when they were not doing well. I want the pictures of when you were doing amazing because that's what the Hope Dealer Movement is about. I don't want to show pictures of us when we weren't living our best life. I want people to see the pictures of us today. Amen. Now, killing it. Just living an amazing, a better life in recovery Mm -hmm. and showing that to people. So please send us a couple pictures Mm -hmm. and your testimony, your recovery story, and we would love to get it out there. Got any final? I think that, um, I think you're right on. And I think that I just want to encourage people out there to start sharing your story. Start sharing your story because your story matters. Absolutely. In closing, I just want to thank you for listening to the podcast. Please join us every week for new episodes. If you want to connect with us further, if you have any questions, topics you'd like to hear in the future, or maybe you would like to be on the podcast sometime, you can connect with us at betterlifeandrecovery.com. Uh, there's a Better Life and Recovery page on Facebook, or you can uh, we're on Twitter, uh, B-L-I-R underscore N-P-O. Also, this podcast is part of the Studio DNA Podcast Network. You can find out more about the network at studiodna.media. Thanks a lot. Y'all have a great week.
Hey, Studio DNA fans. I'm Chad, a new podcast host here on the network. I'd like to invite you to check out my new show called Hot Takeout, where I mix together some of my favorite things, fast food and musical artists. When you listen, you'll get that feeling you have when you get an onion ring in the bottom of your french fries. It's a win. We'll dig deep with the artists. We'll find out what inspires them and what foods they have to stay away from. And we're also playing fast food games, which will also make sense when you listen. So check out the Hot Takeout podcast streaming right now here on the Studio DNA podcast network.